Hey guys, how are y'all doing today? Dave's been talking a lot about the fact that he conned me into doing this talk, and I'm really feeling the effects of that right now. Like, you dirty trickster. (laughs) All right, so listen, I'm really, really happy to be here this morning. Um, I've been praying for you guys all week, so it's good to see you guys here. Um, And since it's my first time being up here alone and not on some Q&A where I have the security of other people up here, I thought that so y'all be extra nice to me, I'd bring you guys a little gift, just a little token. It's nothing big. But if you notice at your tables, there is some gum sitting in the middle of the table. Um, And it's like the good stuff too. I didn't get like, you know, peppermint or anything. It's, It's good stuff. So feel free to Open that up, take out a piece, take it home with you. That is my little offering to you. Now, not many of you may know this, but gum is actually a very spiritual thing. At least when I was in junior high and high school, it was because I loved chewing gum. I had this phobia of bad breath, so I was always chewing it. But for some reason, my mom didn't want me chewing gum when I went to church. And the reason was that she thought it was rude not just to smack your gum in church, but to chew it at all. And so I I made this deal with her where I said, okay, mom, like, I promise once we get into the church service, I I won't chew my gum. So she agreed and probably know where this is headed. Slowly, I would forget about that agreement. I'd begin to chew my gum. And, And somewhere during the service, this hand would like shoot across the chair and grab the top of my leg and just press. And I don't know what tendon is there, but it can neutralize a child at any point at any time. It's like the parent's nuclear option in the most desperate of circumstances. And she'd shoot out her hand and put her hand there and I'm you know, rolling my eyes and putting it in her hand. And, and, and I'm sitting there as a teenager going, what is it about this place that makes chewing gum so bad? And I remember the seed of belief began to plant itself in my mind, and it was this. If this is what church is about, feeling stifled and suffocated with these rules that make no sense, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I want to be free of this place. So this leads to the topic in our series that I've been asked to speak on today, and it's the belief that Christianity is nothing more than a straitjacket in our lives. It's meant to stifle our freedom. So just to make sure that we're on the same page, some of you might not know what a straitjacket is, so I actually have a picture of one. This is a picture of a straitjacket. Now, I may be going on some rabbit trails here, but I thought this was interesting. Um, In insane asylums back in the 1700s, people used to be chained. Um, If they were violent or unruly, they would simply be chained. So straitjackets were actually invented as a humane alternative to being chained. So this is actually an upgrade. Now, as people were committed more and more to insane asylums, staff was less Uh, trained to know how to deal with them, uh, straitjackets actually began to be abused, and they were used as punishment. 
for people they just didn't know how to deal with. Um, And so as medicine progressed and antipsychotics were invented, these medicines became known as chemical straitjackets because they would sedate someone so much to the effect that they didn't even need these anymore. So straitjackets were basically eradicated. They were just seen as useless and no longer needed. So what do we mean when we say that Christianity is a straitjacket? Well, people may believe that Christianity means well. At some point in history, it's been helpful, like the origin of the straitjacket. But over time, Christianity has come to be viewed as so restrictive and abused by others that it's virtually useless in our society today. And one of the main reasons for this is that Christianity is seen as the enemy of what we call freedom. So before we go any further, definitions are important here. Let's give our culture's modern definition of freedom. I think we could probably say it this way. It's the lack of limitations or rules placed on a person. The fewer the limitations we have on our choices and lives, the freer that we believe that we are. And some people might also say it like this. I'm responsible only to myself. No one has a right to tell me how to live. Or or maybe this one, everyone should be free to live as they desire, as long as they don't harm anyone else. So here's my hope this morning. I, I hope to be able to walk through the reasons why I believe these definitions or views are doing a lot of damage in our lives today, all right? So the first problem with this view of freedom is that it's just simply unworkable. Now, let's imagine you have a grandparent. They love spending time with you. They take you on trips. They go hunting. They take you out to restaurants, to the movies. But they also really love being able to eat pretty much whatever they want. And it's both of these things that make life pleasurable to them. But then they go into the doctor one day, and they're told, hey, you know what? If you don't change your eating habits, you're going to have a heart attack. And this would greatly affect their ability to enjoy you. Now remember, modern definition of freedom. I should have the right to do whatever I want. But here's the question. How does this definition work if my wants are in conflict with one another? It's impossible for this grandparent to have freedom in both areas. So what this shows us and helps us begin to understand is there's not just one thing called freedom that we either have or we don't have. In fact, there's actually a variety of freedoms, but we can't have them all. So your grandparents going to have to decide which freedom they're going to sacrifice in order to be free in the other area. They're going to have to decide which freedom is more important and also the one that is most truly liberating. So in light of this, we could maybe redefine freedom as this. Freedom comes from a strategic loss of some freedoms in order to gain others. It isn't the absence of limitations, but it's choosing the right limitations and the right freedoms to lose. Now, we might feel that we're free to act however we want in a relationship with someone. But all of you know that unless we honor the givens and limitations of human relationships, we aren't really going to know love or peace with someone. In fact, if you actually lived any way you wanted to, you 
probably die a pretty unhappy and lonely person. So we really aren't free to do whatever we choose. This is an impossible idea. It's not how freedom actually works. We get the best freedom only if we are willing to submit our choices to certain realities. Now, a second reason that our modern definition of freedom doesn't work is that it is unjust. Now, there's another name that we could call today's view of freedom, and it's called absolute individual autonomy. It's the idea that we belong only to ourselves, and therefore we're free to live out our truth as we see it. Now, this is an unfair idea because it actually denies what we owe others. We would only be responsible to ourselves if no one had ever invested in us or we lived alone somewhere. But that simply isn't true. All of us are the product of parents, siblings, teachers, mentors, and many others who care for us and paved a road for us even before many of us were born. Here's, here's what I mean by that. My parents both grew up in alcoholic households, and both of them made decisions when I was young. My mom basically told my dad, look, it's, it's, you, it's us or the alcohol. My dad thankfully chose us. And I simply entered into that culture. That took a lot of work on my parents' part to end that, and I'm indebted to them for painting a different life for me. So if we need other people, and I believe we do, then there's some shared responsibility. We don't really belong to ourselves. And the third reason freedom is destructive is that it erodes the role of community and relationships. So a fairly common view in our culture is that love is, is this liberating thing, right? It, It frees us from fear, frees us from self-doubt, facing the world alone. But the interesting thing is, is that while love liberates you, the minute you get into a relationship, you have to give up your independence or your freedom. Or best case scenario, you should. (laughs) But let's say you get into a relationship with someone who lives in the same town as you, and in the past you might just go out on the weekend, go hang out with friends, and you wouldn't tell them. But suddenly you have this person calling you saying, hey, like, where are you? Or I can't believe you just left without letting me know. Now, if you respond by saying, well, I don't have to tell you where I am or where I'm going. I belong only to myself. No one has the right to determine for me how I live my life. And you're going to find this long silence on the other end. And that person suddenly is saying, we need to break up. So we see that freedom is advertised as this thing that will bring us happiness and fulfillment. When really the most free and fulfilled we are is when we love someone. And we're having to give up our independence for them. Jonathan Haidt wrote this book called The Happiness Hypothesis. And in it, he discusses the need that we all have to interact and entwine our lives together. That we all need this give and take and this need to belong. And listen to what he says. 
He says that a, a view of extreme personal freedom can be dangerous because it encourages people to leave homes, jobs, cities, marriages in search of this professional and personal fulfillment, thereby breaking the very relationships that were probably their best hope for such fulfillment. So we even see this lack of belonging affecting us today um, with the horrible epidemic of suicide right now in our world. And I don't think that anyone out there has not been affected by this. And the sociologist Emile Durkheim found that it was this feeling of isolation from others that was a key factor behind suicide. And my concern is that as our society moves more towards this idea that we're our own little island, and no one has the right to tell me how to live on that island, we not only grow detached from the souls of others, but from our own souls as well. And this deepening problem of detachment and numbness leads us to see suicide and the permanence of suicide as a less scary option now. That we are so disconnected from our humanity that death is just simply taking that belief one step further. And so it is my deepest hope that if that is something that you are struggling with out there, that you would please grab one of us, grab one of your leaders or volunteers so that we can help you, we can get you help, we can pray with you and walk with you through this, that you would not do that alone. And so there's, there's many problems with this modern idea of freedom. Freedom should never just be this empty excuse for selfishness in our lives. But, you know, by this point, you might actually have some arguments leveled at me. You know, you might be out there thinking, Courtney, this problem's not too hard to fix. I'll just decide to use my freedom for my own, um, I'm not going to use my freedom for my own selfish wants and desires. I'm going to live a committed life. I'll commit myself to my friends, my family, my community, my boyfriend or girlfriend. I'm going to determine for myself that an unselfish life is the best way to use my freedom. Done. But it's when we just try to simply self-correct ourselves that we run into this big problem. And it's denying the reality that we are all under the control of something. In his book, Confessions, Augustine lays out this very idea that all of us have turned to good, hopefully good, but created things for our deeper satisfaction rather than God. The Bible calls this slavery. And it's a slavery we don't see in ourselves. That it's actually all of our default settings. It's what we naturally gravitate towards apart from God intervening in our lives. So whatever is the object of your meeting and satisfaction is ultimately going to be what controls you. are never our own master. We're never truly free as our culture would have us to believe. We all worship and serve something. And so there is this long, but it's a really brilliant quote, 
by the novelist uh, David Foster Wallace. Um, it's not a Christian. And he gave this quote as part of his commencement address to graduating college seniors at Kenyon College. Um, so just bear with me. I really, it's a really good quote. So in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, you will never have enough. Worship your own body, beauty, sexual allure, you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you in the ground. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Now, this is coming from someone who appreciated the idea of faith, never committed themselves to Christ. This man was an extremely gifted, sensitive, humble writer who struggled with addiction and depression his whole uh, whole life and tragically took his life at the age of 46. And here's what he's saying in essence. If we are living for these things, we aren't just simply pursuing them. We're worshiping them. And therefore, we must have them or we lose our purpose in life. If anything threatens their removal, we become extremely anxious or angry. If anything takes them away, we lose the will to live. We fail to achieve them. We fall into self-hatred and shame. They are eating us alive. And that's why the Bible calls us slavery. Now, this is what the Bible has to say about us regarding slavery. John 8, 34 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Romans 6, 16 says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Second Peter 2.10 is speaking of false teachers that are pulling believers away from the gospel. And he says, they promise you freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So my question to you is this. If we're all worshiping something, Which master is going to affirm, cherish, empower, and honor us? And which is going to ultimately exploit and abuse us? Which master is the right master for our lives and hearts and is going to bring about the right liberating freedoms that we spoke about earlier? Christianity's answer for us is that if we're living for the one that created and saved us, we are taking on the right kind of freedom. Jesus is the answer for this problem of slavery in our hearts. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, Jesus says to us, Come to me, all who are weary 
and burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, in this passage, Jesus is calling us only to do the things that we were created to do. That's why he says his yoke is easy. He does put a burden on us to follow him, but he's already paid the price on the cross. So when we fail, we're forgiven. He's taken off of us the burden that others carry. He's removed the burden of having to find salvation through our own means and efforts. He's removed the burden of shame for our past failures. He's taken off the burden of having to prove ourselves worthy of love. This claim that Jesus makes tells us he is the only master, the only thing to live for that will not exploit us. Remember, we talked earlier about the freedom that can come from love relationships, right? But that freedom only comes if both people are agreeing to a loss of independence. Because if only one person in a dating relationship agrees to lose their independence, this is exploitation and selfishness. So let's just imagine that you tried to pursue God, live for God in general. You said, I'm going to get my life together. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start making good decisions. But let's leave Jesus out of the picture. What if we just decided, okay, I'm going to live a good life. I'm going to pray to God. But how would you have a relationship with a God like this? Wouldn't this be exploitation? You're the only one doing the submitting and making all the sacrifices? It's when Jesus enters the picture in the story of the gospel, it tells us a very different picture. Because Jesus gave up his glory and immortality to become human. Jesus gave up light and suffering, or I'm sorry, light and joy through his suffering and death. He was nailed to the cross so he could not move. How's that for giving up your freedom? And what does this result in for us? Galatians 4, 7 tells us, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Galatians 5, 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Romans 6, 22 through 23 says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, The fruit you get now leads to sanctification and eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. In Romans 8, 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. John 8, 36 says, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So let's, let's go back. Let's go back to the junior high me. Sitting in that church service, the feeling of 
constraint and suffocation beginning to develop in my mouth towards Christianity. So I I shook off what I believed to be the heavy coat of Christianity. I wanted to be free. I wanted to do what I wanted to do without having these limitations being placed on me. So I did. And through high school, I deceived my parents and those around me. I went to church because they made me. But I was living a double life that, hear me, I had absolutely no problem with. And when I went to college, I no longer had to be so secretive. It wasn't really a double life anymore. It's just my life, my choices, my plan. And midway through college, during moments of clarity, light might begin to peek through. There were moments where I would feel the sting of conviction. God would show me the darkness and burden of sin I was carrying. I might entertain moments of attending church, opening up my Bible. But my slavery to my chosen freedoms always pulled me back in. And one morning, I awoke in someone else's bed. And I can't describe what happened to me, but it felt as if I was looking down on myself. And I felt and looked dead. And I'm honest, it freaked me out so much in that moment, I, I fled the house and drove back to my apartment. And over the next few months, God began to orchestrate things in such a way that I can only describe it as God was stalking me and was not going to let me run away any longer. My sin had led me to such brokenness and destruction in my soul. The night I surrendered myself to Jesus, the weight of his pursuing me was so great that I literally crawled up. I had a two-story condo, crawled up the stairs to my room. This is where my freedom had brought me, living like a slave to everything wrong. But I think of you out there, and I remember being where you were at and hearing stories like mine in church. And in my sinful state, I reasoned, and maybe this is something y'all are doing, well, look at them. Right? They love Jesus now. Everything turned out all right. That will be me too. I plan to come back to God, settle down eventually. But if that's your view out there this morning, you do not understand slavery. Sin blinds us. It shames us. It makes us not want to return or to think that we can. I can point to tons of friends I had that were raised in the church and professed Christ, and they're still out there in that world. It's in his mercy and grace that God saved me. I never want to feel ungrateful for that. But God did not owe me redemption. I remember talking to someone and sharing some parts of my testimony with them. And they said, yeah, but 
you don't regret it, right? I mean, it's made you who you are today. And I I looked at them and without missing a beat said, absolutely, I regret what I did. I rebelled against the king of this world, the creator who died a death I deserved. Of course I regret what I did. So my hope for you this morning is this, that you would repent and you would believe in the one who gave up his freedom to bear all the weight and burden of your shame and your darkness and your defiance in order that he would bring you from death to life and make you truly free. Let's pray. God, I I pray this morning that we would understand the true liberating freedom that is found in you. God, I I thank you so much for our youth. I thank you so much for these teenagers that are here this morning. And God, I, I pray that if one of them, any of them are here this morning and this talk has hit home in their hearts, God, that they would not turn away from the conviction and the softening that the Holy Spirit wants to do in their life. God, if this is a seed in their life, let it be a seed. If this is water in their life, let it be water. If it is sun and fertilizer to nourish the seed that's already there, I pray that it would be that. You would do your work and that your power is greater than the power in this world. May they know you, Jesus, and the love you have for them. Amen. All right, guys, I think y'all should have some questions on your tables if y'all want to uh, discuss those questions, and then we are done.